Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I want you guys to be with God. I care about you guys' relationship with the Lord. It's very much like a parent. I believe the parents are most invested in in their kids, the most invested persons in their kids' lives in normal circumstances. And so Paul would say, man, I, I care that you guys make it. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. When your parents see you, you know, with the wrong crowd, they're not jealous because you got friends. They, they're looking at the wrong crowds and I, I know where they're going to take you. I know where those friendships are going. I'm, I care about where you're going to end up. It's not like, well, I'm jealous because you're hanging out with them more than me. Not all jealousy is bad. There is a righteous jealousy that God has for his children in that he is jealous for a relationship with you. He desires you for himself and doesn't want you to be ensnared by sin. Today, Pastor Bill will be explaining how the Apostle Paul was jealous for those in Corinth with a godly jealousy. Just as a parent would desire their children to stay away from troublemakers, God desires you to turn away from those things that would be unhealthy for your soul. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11 as he begins his message, Dealing with False Teachers. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste version to Christ. Two things. First in verse one, Paul says, hey, I want you to bear with me in a little folly. Whenever Whenever Paul has to kind of brag on himself a little bit or, or, or really exert his authority, he'll say, just kind of bear with me in a little folly. Paul is a humble man. He is an apostle. And, uh, you know, if you ranked men of God, Paul would be ranked. But Paul was he didn't he didn't go there. You know, um, I, I'm always shocked when I see guys today that, you know, are really, really about their titles and their positions. And you better call me and acknowledge me and recognize me. Paul almost like I don't even want to go there. But I have to so I can help you. You guys, I got the gospel straight from Jesus. That was an important thing back then. Today, everybody and their mama want to be an apostle. Back here, apostolic authority meant that you received the message straight from Jesus. That meant that it was it wasn't it wasn't, you know, it didn't come down through three or four different people. I got the message straight from Jesus that I'm giving to you. It's apostolic authority. You could you could be sure that this is what Jesus said. So. That's what it meant back then. Today, somebody just, they tired of being a bishop. And so they have a, or they have a ceremony, a few friends, you know. I done seen some ridiculous ceremonies, guys carried on chairs and, you know, all kind of processions and whatnot. And, you know, now he is an apostle. And, and you know, I think God looks at that stuff and is just sick. I think it's, I mean, that, that's, I, I beg you, anybody that's come from that and feels defensive about it, I beg you to look in the scriptures and find it. Find it. You won't find it. Scriptures are void of any any of that, any of the things that we see, it's not there. And so um, we should be cautious. So anyway, Paul says, bear with me in a little folly. And he says, and, and indeed, you do bear with me. And then he says this, he opens up, so I want you to know my heart. I'm jealous for you guys. Not, but he says, what a godly jealousy. I want you guys to be with God. I'm, I care about you guys' relationship with the Lord. It's very much like a parent. I believe the parents are most invested in, in their kids, the most invested persons in their kids' lives in normal circumstances. And so... Paul would say, man, I, I care that you guys make it. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. When your parents see you, you know, with the wrong crowd, they're not jealous because you got friends. They, they're looking at the wrong crowds and I, I know where they're going to take you. I know where those friendships are going. I'm, I care about where you're going to end up. It's not like, well, I'm jealous because you're hanging out with them more than me. Some parents may trip like that, but in most cases, you know, some mothers, you know, I, <laughs> when they, you know, I, I, I've seen that too, but in most cases, 
You see your kid going the wrong way. I'm not jealous of the fact that you have friendships, but I see that you have poor friendships. I see that they're they're moving in a bad direction. So Paul is saying, I'm I'm jealous for you guys with a godly jealousy. And he gives us an analogy that I got to explain the Jewish marriage process for it to make sense to us. He says, um, he says, I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now, back then, a Jewish father, uh, had, if he had a daughter, um, you might, as a Jewish father, you might pick your daughter's husband when they're two years old. You know, I get Harmony to be two years old and I might have a friend that I know their family is solid in the Lord. They got a little son that's two or three years old. And I said, that's the guy right there. You know, <laughs> I pick him. That's going to be your husband. That's that's it. It's, it's arranged. It's settled. Now, we didn't do that, you know, but uh, but but I could have, you know, uh, I don't think it's altogether a bad idea. You know, I, I, I do wonder, though, when you pick him at two and about 12, 13, you realize that that's <laughs> He was a lot handsomer at two, or you know, he, he, he seemed like he had a lot more promise at two. I, I, I you know, you kind of stuck with it. But, but the idea was, dad would select the, the the fathers would make an agreement on this, and when the kids were of age, uh, they would be betrothed. Betrothed was now in a they were in there was an official engagement. They were usually a betrothal would last one year, and in that one year period, they would they would technically you had to get you had to get divorced from a betrothal. So. It was legal at that point. Um, they didn't they didn't consummate the marriage, but it would be in that year space that they would prepare where they were going to live and everything else. Then they would finally have their ceremony at the Jewish wedding ceremony as the husband and wife go into their wedding chambers. Um, they had a, a ritual that, you know, be strange to us. But the girl had to have been presented a virgin. And. Um, you know, I know there are little ones here. I'm trying to be real careful, but they were, they would bring out the bed sheets with certain evidences that that she had been a virgin. And that would that once that was brought out, the best man would, you know, carry that father was I did my job. Presented my daughter was a virgin when walked away. Everything's good. If she wasn't uh, father would be shamed. And there 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 were different things that could take place with the daughter. Uh, it, was, it was bad, you know, so um, that was how it went. So when Paul says, look, I betrothed you to Christ, right? We're, you guys know that we're, we're, we're engaged to Christ and, and we're looking forward to reading Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb that we will be, uh, we will be married to Christ. The relationship between Christ and the church is, is a marriage. That's the picture that we get. So Paul says, look, I led you guys to the Lord. I betrothed you. I, I brought you guys into relationship with the Lord. That's why I'm concerned. That's why I cared. And I want to present you to God pure. The same way a, a Jewish dad would want to present his daughter chaste holy, virgin, pure. I want to present you to Christ untainted. But Paul sees that they're being tainted by false doctrine. And so that's why he's writing to correct these things. So now look at verse three. He says, but I fear least somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And Paul's concern, he says, look, I'm worried that you guys are being deceived in the same way that Eve was deceived by the serpent. And uh, if you guys want to look at that, you can go back to Genesis chapter three and Genesis chapter two. Uh, God had given some instructions to Adam. Uh, you know, God said in Genesis 2, 18, it's not good for men to be alone. I'll make him a helper comparable to him. Um, you know, and God made him a wife. God had told him, you know, you can have everything in the garden, but just don't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, then you get the chapter in the chapter two the God God marries Adam and Eve first first marriage in the Garden of Eden they got it going on they're in paradise 
They can eat everything they see except for one tree. They're naked. They got, I mean, God has blessed them. They're in a beautiful place. They're in paradise. And God says, just be, enjoy this. Chapter three, Satan comes. And he says, um, and he begins, and it's interesting, he, he goes after Eve. Um, you know, the Bible says, women, don't be offended at this. The Bible says that our wives are weaker vessels. Uh, we're not made the same. Husbands are to be a covering. They're to be the spiritual headship and covering over their wives. And in 1 Peter 3, husbands are told that we need to honor our wives as weaker vessels, that we're not treating them like equals, but we, we, we honor them. Uh, we give them, we give preference to our wives in those ways. And so um, Satan went after Eve and he deceived her. Now, the way he deceived her, you know, we, I think, you know, someone be drawn away from sin. You know, Satan didn't come and say, hey, I got some booze. He didn't roll up something and say, hey, Eve, you know, try one of those, you know. <laughs> The way he got her, right, he said, he, he, first he lied on God to her. He said, did God really say you couldn't eat of every tree? And the insinuation there was, did God rest messed up? God said you can't eat of every tree? Now, what God had said is you can eat of all the trees except for one. That's more than fair. Satan makes the one thing that you can't have seem most desirable. That's what he does. That thing God said, don't do. God said you can do all this, but that one thing. That's messed up. God said, you can't do that. That's not fair. God's keeping something good from you. Then he said, uh, after, he, after he questions, brings the Lord into question, did God really say that? Then he just lies on God. You, you won't. He, she said, no, you know, we, we can't eat it. She added or touch it. At least we die. He says, Satan says to Eve, he says, you, you won't surely die. He goes right against what God said. You, you're not going to die. God knows in the day that you'll eat it, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. Right? And so the temptation for the tree of knowledge of good, the temptation of the tree was, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to have higher knowledge. I'm going to be wiser than I am right now. If I, I can sin against God. I can go against what I know God said, and somehow I'll be better as a result. The temptation for her was, was, it was intellectual. It was in her mind. I'm going to know more. I believe today that some of, some of the false teachings that prevail in our culture, um, it's, a lot of them I see they, 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 they minister to our carnality. A real relationship with God is going to cause you to have to walk in faith. And it's, it's simple. It's, for some people, it's too simple. Um, some people need to feel like, no, I got to get into the deeper things. I got to have some auras and some, and some rocks and some, some deep spiritual truths. And I got to get real deep and philosophical and everything else. And God said, I made it simple. A kid can understand it. Little babies get saved. Little, little kids can understand that God loves you. You're a sinner. God died on the cross, rose from the grave. He wants to live in you and save you. Little kids can understand it. God made it so simple. You get some people that can, you know, get up here and talk you in the circles. And you're like, wow. So you got to come like that. And you got to do one of those. And you got to believe. And after you believe, you got to, you got to, you know, you got to, you got to go over there. You got to baptize three bits, you know, in Jesus name and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you know, speaking tongues, and, you know, all these different things. And so that's, for whatever reason, we're, we're prone to that. Um, there's some intellectual false doctrines, um, and they, they make a lot of sense. Guys teach them very well, but they're false doctrines just the same. Um, worse than the, the false teachings are the false gospels. Uh, you know, we'll talk about that a little a little more. But he says, I'm, I'm concerned for you that in the same way that the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. Uh, Paul recognized there were people coming into the church that were crafty. They were good at what they were doing. I have listened, I listen to false teachers, just so y'all know. Uh, and I'm telling you, some of them are good. I listen to some and I'm like, that is good. I mean, 
I mean, if, if I didn't know better, the way he put that was good. I mean, he just wove that together. He twisted them scriptures up real good, you know. Um, and if you don't know better, I understand as I'm looking out at a crowd of people that are like, yeah. And I'm like, he's lying. That's not, that's not what it means. That's not what it means. How do we protect against that? Um, one, of the, one of the reasons why, you know, I'm, I'm always telling you guys, read the Bible for yourself. Develop your own relationship with the Lord. Yes, be here. Yes, come be taught. But there's, there's, no, there's, there's nothing that can take the place of you and the Bible and the Holy Spirit alone and the Lord ministering his truth to you. Um, I, as a pastor, I'm not afraid of you spending time in the word alone. I want you, I beg you to. That's the best thing you can do for your walk with the Lord. Um, because something about, as, as you spend time reading, studying, God's going to reveal his truth to you. You're going to develop an ear for what God's word is saying. You're going to have a discernment of what's true and what's error. And when you hear something phony, you go, that's not what that means. I read that whole book cover to cover and I read it in context. And I know that that means this and this means that. And that's what God was talking about. How do you know that? Could you spend time in the book? You know who the people that are most uh, prone to be led astray or misled by false teachers are people who believe in the Bible but don't know it. Uh, when your Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, they don't mind if they want you to be someone that believes in the Bible. Just don't know it. When they find out that you know it, they don't come back. They don't come back. They're like, oh, I didn't waste my time over here. They know the Bible. You know? But if you know, if you have a Bible, believe the Bible, and you don't know the Bible, oh, you are a prime candidate. You are their favorite person. They love you. Um, that's what's wrong with a lot of our churches, where you go to a lot of Christian churches and people are being entertained. You got two hours of music. Um, the dude is not really preaching. He reads you one verse, give you a cool topic and spin, shout, holler and sing for two hours and throw out a bunch of cliches and stuff like that. And wonder why, you know, people that been in church their whole life are falling away. How people that I've been in church for 20 years, but I don't know nothing. I can't I can't take you to verse scripture and verse and tell you how to know the Lord, how I know that Jesus is God, basic doctrines and stuff like that. Um, it puts people at a disadvantage. And so Paul is concerned for them. It's a good concern. Uh, he says, I, 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 I'm, I'm worried. I'm concerned. At least somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And I want you to note that it's the simplicity. Christ's gospel is simple. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, why would he make it difficult when he wants everybody to receive it? So I made it simple. And so now look at verse four. He says, for if he comes, if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached and or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. And so I want you to notice the, the issues here. Paul says uh, uh, another Jesus a different spirit and a different gospel. These are the common things that plague with, with false teachings. Real quick about another Jesus. Uh, every cult, every cult believes in Jesus. They have to. You can't deny Jesus, but it's a different Jesus. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses, when they come to your door, if they, they use our language. So I'll say, I'm Christian. Oh, we're Christians too. We believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus too. So you're like, oh, we're the same. You know, that's what some gullible, un unknowing people would think. But the Jesus that Jehovah's Witness believes in is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible is God. The Jesus of the Jehovah Witness is not God. He's less than God. And so um, one of the issues with every cult is they won't deny the existence of a person, Jesus, 
but they will deny his deity. He is not God. He is less than God. If a Mormon comes to your door with their white shirt and their black tie on their bicycle, um, they, we're Christians. We believe in Jesus, too. The, the Jesus that they believe in is the spirit brother of Lucifer. They believe that Jesus and Satan were brothers and they had some kind of, you know, celestial beef and they split ways. And now, you know, the little brother Jesus is, you know, little brother Satan Lucifer is all mad. And that's what it's all. That's bogus. Satan is a created being. He's an angel, a fallen angel. Jesus is God, the creator. They're not the same. And so they believe in a Jesus, but it's a different Jesus. And so someone comes at you with another Jesus. Are you able to discern? Um, and, and one of the main ways, right, if, if the Jesus that's presented is not God, it's, it's not the Jesus that the, of the Bible. And it's not a Jesus. The Jesus that's not God cannot save you. And so Paul said, look, I'm worried. I'm concerned um, that if someone comes preaching another Jesus, that you guys might accept it. You guys might receive it. Then he says a different spirit. Um, we know that what, what spirit does God give us? Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to tell you right now that in churches of America and everywhere else, there are things done in the name of the Holy Spirit that are not of the Holy Spirit. They're, the Holy Spirit is also God. And so if I take God, the Holy Spirit, but I make I, I, I create beliefs and practices surrounding the Holy Spirit that are not of God, I mislead you about who God, the Holy Spirit is. Uh, there are churches right now where Holy Spirit is blamed for things that are that he's not doing. People are jumping up and shaking and gyrating and rolling and flapping and running laps and everything else. And it's the Holy Spirit. In some church circles, you feel like the Holy Spirit is almost like a it's like a good demon. Like he takes over your body. You have no control. He makes you do things that you have no control over. And, and it's the Holy Spirit. I, I challenge you. Read your Bible. You won't find that in the Bible. Anytime in the Bible somebody was slain, it was a bad thing. They weren't saved. They weren't right with God. Um, that's that's the truth. Right. You don't find in the Bible people slain in the Holy Spirit. Not happening. You don't find in the, in, the, in the Bible. I've heard of people, you know, drunk in the spirit or laugh, you know, Holy Spirit laughter where they just oh, start laughing and just ridiculous things. And you're looking at grown adults with Bibles doing this stuff, things that are learned behaviors. There are churches where, um, you know, people want the, the main evidence that the Holy Spirit filled your life to be tongues. It's not the main evidence. I know people speaking tongues that ain't saved. Straight up. I know people that are speaking tongues in here and cuss you out out there. One of the main works of the Holy Spirit is that you're going to be a person that walks in love. Look, I'm looking for fruit. The fruit of the Spirit can't be denied. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there should be love, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control, those, those fruits, those natural manifestations, because you can't fake fruit. But anybody can get up here and they teach you how to speak in tongues. Say shoulda bought a Honda. Say it faster. Shoulda bought a Honda. There you go. You're on your way. Run a lap, you know. And they blame that on the Holy Spirit, but that's not that's not the Holy Spirit. That's a learned behavior. When you know Clint's teaching Sunday nights, when the Holy Spirit fell upon believers, nobody had to teach them, no one trained them, no one told them. Um, it was God's power upon their life. It wasn't manufactured by a man. It was a work of God. And so there are things today that are blamed on the Holy Spirit that are not of the Holy Spirit, and, and you won't know if you don't know the book. If you don't spend time in the Word yourself, you don't question things or challenge it. You'd be doing things. That's a different spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. Um, I was at a church where uh, a lady, uh, the church had pews and a lady supposedly caught the Holy Spirit as though he could be caught. Y'all know that that's bogus, too. You don't catch the Holy Spirit. God is the Holy Spirit. You, he dwells in you. He comes upon you. 
Um, he can he convicts you, he leads you, you can grieve him, but you, you don't catch him. Not like a baseball, you know? You don't catch the Holy Spirit. This, this lady supposedly caught the Holy Spirit, and as she were catching the Holy Spirit, and she flung back into the pew, the pew came loose and fell back. And there was an older gentleman with a cane and a weak leg, and she crushed his leg. And I remember sitting there saying, are you going to blame that on the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit made you crush that little man's leg like that? No, he didn't. That's not, that's, 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 you know, but that's, that's what's common. Why is it so common in our churches? And I believe this. I believe that a lot of things are common because people, people will develop belief and things, they'll be conditioned by what they see and hear, uh, whether it comes from the Bible or not. You know, that we take things indiscriminately. If the pastor said it, then I'll just take it. I'm saying don't take my word for it. Please don't. Please check me out. Please read behind what I'm saying. Go home and be a Berean. It should check out. No pastor should be offended at that. That if I tell you something, I want you to go home and say, you know, he said this. He gave those verses. I'm going to go back and look at those verses for myself. Confirm it. It should be confirmable. Um, that way you can have your own sense of I I've done my homework. I've checked this thing out. And so uh, another Jesus, another spirit. And then this is the worst one. Uh, a, uh, another Jesus, a different spirit than a different gospel. Now, if it's a different gospel, it can't that gospel can't save you. Now, uh, real briefly, you know, the gospel that Paul preached, uh, maybe the clearest place in Scripture uh, to look at the gospel messages in 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to write down in your notes. Write down 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Um, this is, if someone says, where, you know, what, what is the gospel that Paul preached? This is what you want to look at. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Paul said, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. He's declaring it, which I preach to you, which you also received and in which you stand and by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here, here it goes. For I, I delivered to you first of all that I was that that I, I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for your sins, first part of the gospel, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And that's the gospel: that Christ died for your sins. According to the scriptures, that he was buried and three days later he rose from the grave. And it's believing in that message that saves you. Now, if I add to that, if I say you got to believe and anything, that's another gospel. Uh, apostolic churches today, you got to believe, be baptized specifically in the name of Jesus and come up with the evidence of speaking in tongues. That's another gospel. That's another gospel. It's, it's not, it's, it can't be, if I add anything to the cross, I want you to understand what a slap in the face it is to Jesus. Right. Jesus is God. He left heaven, came to earth, lived a perfect, holy, sinless life to become the Lamb of God. He died on the cross in my place and in your place. He took our sins upon himself. The Bible says he bore our shame, bore our grief upon himself. He died. That's the penalty of sin paid for. Then he rose from the grave and in doing so had a victory over Satan, over sin, over death for you and for me, for our benefit. To say that that's Jesus, you're, that's almost enough. Like, you almost got me saved right there. Now, I got to add one thing to what you did. I'm going to also go get baptized. Then that's going to seal the deal. That's, that's adding a work to salvation. Now, do believers, should believers get baptized? Yes. I don't get baptized in order to be saved. I get baptized because I am saved and I'm identifying with Christ in baptism, which we're going to be having one uh, in the next month. Uh, next month. So if you've never been water baptized, uh, we'll, we'll let you know when you can sign up. Uh, but anyway. We don't, we don't get baptized in order to be saved. I believe what Jesus did to be saved. 
But as a, as a follower, as a believer, I will follow Christ in water baptism. I will identify with him in the way that he called me to. If they bring a gospel other than that, let them be damned to hell. That gospel will lead you to hell as it's leading them to hell. Let them be damned to hell. Let them be a curse. What he says. And so we want to be cautious. We want to be careful. You know, as you visit churches or you got friends in different places, you want to look up. I go, I go on websites. And I'm like, what's your statement of faith? That's all we have time for today on The Transforming Word. Pastor Bill has been teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. In this book, Paul details many different ways that he suffered for the sake of Christ. It can be painful to hear about these trials, but it's a reminder that following Jesus comes at a personal cost. What are some ways that you've chosen Jesus above other things? Do you think it's worth it? Paul knew it was well worth the pain and hardship that was brought on because he had a bigger picture in sight of eternity. Do you have the same outlook when you go through difficult trials? We hope you continue to learn more from this book written to the Corinthians. If you're interested in hearing additional teachings from Pastor Bill, you'll find them on our website, CalvaryEnglewood.org. We'd be happy to meet you too. Do you live in the Inglewood area? Then come join us for worship this weekend. You can get service times and location information at CalvaryEnglewood.org. You'll even find links to stream our services if you're unable to be with us in person. And you can catch up on previous messages online. That website again is CalvaryEnglewood.org. As we come to the end of our time with you today, we want you to know that we're grateful to have you as a part of our listening audience. Would you join us in praying for others who are tuning in and possibly hearing about Jesus for the very first time? Please pray that their hearts will be open to the truth that changes lives. Thanks for praying, and thanks for joining us on The Transforming Word.